0: yes welcome back welcome back it feels like an eternity since I've been last year please on yourself, unmute yourself Mr Dorsey let me change your name I can't hear you no I can't hear you <laughs> let me um... Let me tell you to unmute yourself. Yes, welcome to Black Ophelix. We're back, we're back, we're back. It's been like, it feels like it's been an eternity, but because the programmes are not regular, Monday, sometimes they're on Saturdays now, and had one Saturday, I was supposed to do one Saturday, but uh, the guy couldn't make it. So now we're back today, which is good, because I actually am inundated with so much work at the moment and so much stuff in the real world that I haven't managed to, to get this all together but i'm hoping in the next couple of weeks it'll be back to normal anyway joining me today is mr dorsey for the second time hey because it was so much fun last time i had to get him back what's going on
1: thank you thank you very much
0: it's good to see you man it's very good to see you so um what's what's new uh, um, i don't know do you celebrate um pride month yeah i do
1: celebrate pride month in fact there have been a couple of facebook um programs that i've joined on the triple nickel is one of them and uh, then i've done some podcasts for several other people who are also celebrating it and dc has a big f- pride celebration and so does new york so over here on the east coast we're doing our thing and waving our flags and moving forward
0: <laughs> i love the energy man i love like the way no, it's way it's shared around the world. Actually, there was some controversy in, the, I don't know if you can catch up with the Euros. We've got like this football tournament going at the moment. And there was the, um, obviously, we support the pride movement, obviously. And one country, I think it's Hungary. They were like, no, we don't support it. And I'm like, why would you say something like that? You know, let people live and enjoy their lives the way they want to, you know, and express right. themselves. But I don't understand this whole hate towards it. I just, It doesn't register with me. I'm like, huh? What?
1: Yeah, it's it's still a lot of tension in the world around the subject, and I mean, and most of it comes from the born again Christian community—not all churches, but but a number of Christian beliefs. I mean, it's the same with abortion and race and a number of things that, especially that are happening in the United States, that bring a resistance to this. So the LGBT movement is still very uphill. I mean, it's still a lot mm-hmm. of work that needs to be done in a variety of community, and now the trans gender group is coming forward stronger the bisexual group is coming forth stronger the queer groups are coming out and so um but anyway we have books now we have literature we have movies we have podcasts we have supporters and allies we have grants and funds and um when I worked for the federal government I was the diversity officer and the special emphasis program manager for the LGBT community so um in my 74 years, I certainly feel like I've contributed uh, to the movement and been a positive example. Uh, so, I mean, it's still a lot of work to do in a lot of categories of, of, of the United States and the world in terms yes. of LGBTQ. Definitely. And then I have my three books. So, I mean, what can you say? <laughs> Actually,
0: I didn't want to talk about the, the one we didn't really catch up on the last, I can't remember what it's called. It was a third book, which we didn't really talk about that much
1: yeah yeah well the third book is called from uh of time and spirit yeah. and he, here's a copy of it
0: yeah, yeah and that's it
1: just won, along with my other two books the independent press awards it was uh considered a distinguished favorite uh for for that group so i was really kind of proud i mean i want you to see the little emblem up here my little emblem my independent it's press it. awards so that that to me was um, you know very significant, but the book is a tribute to my father, mm-hmm. and uh, the baseline of the story of his helping me come to terms with coming out in the LGBT community,
0: yeah. and
1: um, and yet my dad and I throughout my life um, never communicated. I mean, I was pretty much a mother's boy and. You know, I was with her everywhere she went, to the grocery store, to the food shopping, clothes shopping, the hairdressers, the barbershop. I was with my mother. Yeah. And then from from grades from the time I was born to the time I was in first grade, we lived in a rural community. So I was with my mother, you know, every day. So mm-hmm. um, and so I had a lot of her inflections and behaviors and feminine, feminine actions. But I mean, still, I knew within myself at four years old that I was gay and many people asked me you know how did you know you were gay at four years old but you know at that point in time I knew that my proclivities uh were toward boy but yeah I mean I well, boys you. I mean when I was a boy and the boys not now that I'm an adult boys but um but you know I don't know if you had uh where in the Caribbean and in Europe where you were but we had a a department store here called Sears and Robux. And many years ago in the fifties and sixties, they sent out a catalog and, you know, my mother gave me the catalog, you know, to pick out my school clothes. And they, of course, they had a ladies' sections, a men's section, a children's section. But yeah. interestingly in there, they had an underwear section for men. And of course I had <laughs> to pick. So when I saw these men models with their, you know, little, I mean, I knew that was where my, proclivity tended to be i look at you laughing at me but i mean it's true i mean yeah i mean it's cool yeah but um but anyway i was born catholic so you have the institution of religion and i had sense enough not to say what i was thinking because it certainly wasn't the norm i didn't see it anyplace else around me in my Mm -hmm. in my life i mean i knew it was socially unacceptable behavior according to the church and then when you went to elementary school you knew that um in fact i have this funny story i have to tell you is your okay. first name wayne or is your first name uh alistaglio
0: uh it doesn't really matters, doesn't matter to you. it doesn't I mean, matter whatever's equal it. what is easiest for you to say
1: oh okay well anyway i'll just say wayne because my middle name is wayne so i know i won't stumble over that
0: but um <laughs>
1: But you know, when I went to first grade, going back to my little story, um, and my mother dropped me off at school after about the second day, mm-hmm. uh, the, my first grade teacher, Agnes Curtis, said to the class, the first grade class, to go outside on the playground and form two groups. Okay. So we got in line, single file first graders, and we marched out on the playground, and the group formed into two a boys' group, and a girls' group. That's that's just how they divided themselves in two. Well, when I looked up, I was standing in the girls' group. (laughs) And one of my classmates, her name was Sylvia, said to me, Maurice, I think you belong over there. And she took her finger and she says, I think you belong over there. Well, I was probably the tallest kid in the class or one of the tallest, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, among the boys and and the girls. And it never dawned on me. I mean, it never registered to me that I was standing with the girls, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And so I moved over. But of course, that was a signal to all of the boys in the class that it was something a little different about me, you know, that I could make that kind of colossal mistake, you know, in the midst of 25 or 30 first grade students. Yeah. So um, that that was a very defining moment. And then you're six or seven years old, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, the book of time and spirit, I mean, I lived my whole life um, keeping my mouth shut. Uh, having my feelings, having my thoughts, having my fantasies of of whatever they are during childhood and and adolescence and and experiences. And then you get, you move through primary school, secondary school, and then you, you know, you go to high school and then, or junior high school, and then the senior class boys are discerning your difference, you know, so Mm -hmm. they are picking on you. But anyway, after I finished college, i decided I wasn't living a life of secrecy. I just could not live with the deception because I had been so close to my mother. And, you know, we talked on the phone all of the time when I was in college and I told her that I had gone to this same, this gay bar. I mean, I, I went to a gay bar and I saw all of these men dancing with each other and they were happy and they were flamboyant and they had <laughs> hair done and their clothes done and some had makeup I mean but it was a happy group and it was the first time I had ever been in anything like that because I was rural I mean I was born in a rural community mm-hmm. and so um, I mean I had no exposure of the urban life at all from mm-hmm. a social point of view and um, so my mother said to me, when I talked to her on the phone that Saturday morning, I said, oh, mother, I went to the greatest party. I mean, I was just oozing with excitement, having been to this gay club and see the dancing in the disco and men dancing with men, which was a little difficult for me to look at at first. I mean, it looked a little strange. <laughs> uh, and, and so men showing affection because my dad never showed any affection to me. Yeah. I mean, we, we never really touched. I mean, I didn't know what it was like for a man to touch me. And um so anyway, I I she my mother said, well, who is she? And I'm thinking, uh oh, I gotta make a U-turn in this conversation because I'm gonna tell her, you know, it was no she, you know, so I changed the subject and and said, oh, well, you know, I didn't take anybody this time. I went, which I didn't take anybody, but I was with a friend of mine. And um So anyway, after I thought about it and deliberated on it a while after undergraduate school, I thought, nah, I'm not living this damn lie." And I had finished undergraduate school. I had my college degree. I was on my own. So I called my mother and father and I went home. You know, I said, are you both going to be home? I have something that I need to tell you. And so I went home and I told my mother You know, that I was gay, my mother and father in the living room of the house, that I was gay. Well, my mother went through this whole dramatic scene. You know, I did the best that I could. I didn't raise you that way. I breastfed all my children. And I don't know what happened to you when all of the girls like you. You're tall and you're handsome. And, you know, I don't know why you would do something like that. And she just went and she cried when she started crying. Then I started crying because no boy wants to see his mother crying i mean you don't you know and so all of this that i thought i was going to be relieving myself from became heavier because you know she's reacting with all of this theater and drama and non-acceptance when my dad who said absolutely almost nothing to me my whole life of any you know that i because i just wasn't close to him yeah looked at my mother and said zelma how can you not know? <laughs> he just said, how can you not know? He's been like that his whole life, you know? And so it, it's with, with his statement, he was the one who, re, who took the lid off of, off of my head and the weight off of my shoulder because my parents, like many well-adjusted family households, your parents are, you know the key players in your life. I yeah. mean, they, you know, I mean, they fed, watered you, and gave you clothes and shelter, and they went to work. You stayed home. You went to school. So, I mean, I was close to my parents. I mean, even though my dad and I didn't communicate, I mean, I still loved them and wouldn't have wanted anything in the world to happen to him. And mm-hmm. so, the inspiration of this book of time and spirit is a tribute to him, and it's telling my relationship with him and the difficulty and the struggles I had trying to get close to him uh, as a man of the, the turn of the century. He was born in 1919. So, you know, it was going from okay. the 1800s to the 1900s. And so his way of thinking and his way of parenting and and he came from a Catholic family and went to Catholic school was so different than yeah. my thinking. I mean, it was just, it was like we were on two different planets, you know in the way we thought, but I could I could relate to my mother because I was also materialistic. I mean, I like things. I mean, I wanted my TV and my record player and my music and I wanted clothes and I wanted everything. <laughs> and, and my mother used to say to me, Maurice, boy, I have three children. They don't seem to want anything and you want everything. <laughs>
0: yeah <Like> my daughter. <laughs>
1: yeah, so, uh, but I was the baby and I was seven years behind. They had more to give and then they were tired of raising children when I came and, yeah. you know. <laughs> And and they, you know, they wanted to just do anything to get me to shut my mouth, you know, and of course, once I learned that I knew how to put the little childhood guilt trips on them, you know, you don't take me anywhere and we don't go any place, you know, that whole whining, whiny, whiny, whiny thing. So that's how the book got started, of
0: time and spirit. You know, it's funny you should say that, it's because I'm thinking, is that the way my third daughter is going to try and play me, and especially her mom, she's going to play her mom anyway, because that's just the way it is, but me, I'm kind of a bit more stern, you know. I don't give in too easy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm wondering if my daughter's going to try that. Um, anyway, so you, you're saying about, do you think, I mean, when did you recognize that your relationship wasn't that good with your father? Was that, do you think you, did, did he have something against you being the way he was? Like, did you think? He no, had-
1: no, he hadn't. My, my dad had suffered a variety. He, first of all, he it wasn't that he disliked me at all. I didn't feel dislike I just didn't like him because no I really didn't I mean as a child I I didn't I mean I didn't like him because he did he wasn't integrating into my life to the same extent that my mother was he seemed to let which many men did the children were more or less relegated to the mother and the man that generation went to work and yeah. so I couldn't be mad at him because I mean I always gave him credit for taking care of my mother so that my mother could take care of me, mm-hmm. you know. So it was a real team approach. I mean it was a it was a cycle in there. So it wasn't that I didn't think it was he disliked me never at all because I was gay. I mean he he tried to enter, in and antiquate what I considered antiquated ways. I mean he just seemed so old fashioned and and stoic and then he was born in the catholic church and the catholic church had all these church rules that you you know you had to go to confession and you had to confess your sins and you couldn't eat meat on friday and you couldn't have premarital sex and masturbation was against the church law and postmarital sex you know adultery was against everything it was just all of these rules and he was indoctrinated in all of this catholicism so he lived because he went to Catholic schools more or less on the straight and narrow. But then when he volunteered to go into the army, and all of the guys in the army gave him hell. You mean you haven't, you know, you haven't had sex with anybody but your wife and you know, you don't <laughs> have one girl, you know. I mean, you can have, you know, this is the time you're supposed to have lots of girls. And so when he was stationed in, in France and Italy, he would he was so naive, in my opinion. You know, he would send letters to my mother saying that when he got back home from being overseas, he was going to be a better sex partner because he was having sex with the French and Italian women, you know, because of these military men encouraging him, you know, to do it. But in his nature, I don't think that that was his nature, but it certainly wasn't anything. Hold on.
0: Wait a he was having sex with the Italian women. Italian and, then, right, and, and, and then, French. And then writing to your mom saying, yeah, I'm having sick over here. Yeah. yeah. What? What? I mean, (laughs) I never heard anything go crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so naive, you know, (laughs) I mean, but he's, he's coming from the angle that. I'm going to be a better sex partner to you when I come home because of this. But of course, my mother didn't want to hear that. I yeah. mean, she I, didn't, I mean, she's home with two babies and not me, but I mean my brother and sister raising these two kids by herself for all practical purposes while he's over there, you know, that's and that's her awesome. on the playground, you know. So, um, she was not happy about that. But of course, that didn't I mean, that didn't registered to him i mean until she made it perfectly clear
0: <laughs> the thing My is the mother- thing is though wait there back then right back then in the 1930s or whatever the 40s when he was so i guess he was part of the war was he part of the war
1: yeah he was part of world war 2 yeah he was a part of world war 2 and you know and in, in the and i bring this out in the book at the time he was in the military Wayne. uh the army the united states army was segregated yeah. and and i you know and at that point i didn't even know i mean in my mind i could not conceptualize the the armed forces of the united states of america being segregated so they were separate barracks separate dining halls yeah. and and when my dad got to be like at the master sergeant level where he was leading the new inductees to like alabama you know when he got to the destination in the southern states south carolina and alabama where he would be stationed the white office would say to the young white recruits do you mean to tell me you're letting this nigger bring you down here you know so he was discriminated against and um You know, he was denied off, he he was, my dad was very smart, very literate. He went to Catholic schools, as I said, but he learned all of the classical arts. He knew Shakespeare, he knew music by Wagner and the operas. I mean, he was a very classically educated black man, but it just did not transfer over into the military and in his life in the real world, because I don't think as a youngster, he even knew that the world was as segregated, but he had lived in, of course, segregated housing. The church was segregated. I even was in segregated churches. So my dad was sort of naive and sheltered and he forbade my mother more or less to not want it. She didn't, he did not want us to, the children to go to Catholic schools. He felt that that sort of ruined the children, you know what I mean? Because it made him more naive of the real world. Yeah. Then, and that when you get into the real world and you're not in school, you don't have the nuns and the priests who nurtured you in school to protect you once you're out. So he had that issue. And then he had another tragedy in his childhood that I don't even know if I could have lived through. I mean, the lives that, you know, African-Americans in this country had at that point in time, I, I, I mean, I just don't know from my current platform, whether I could have made it made it through. But anyway, in this Catholic family, there were about seven or eight different babies born. One of them died in childbirth, but the one of the youngest ones loved my dad, loved my dad to death. Her name was Rosalie. I love remembering her, but I never knew her, uh, but I just remember the story of her. And uh, my grandmother, Uh, who was also very stoic and quiet and reserved and Catholic, she was very devout, had put a pot of white potatoes on the back of the stove to make Mm -hmm. potato salad for a little birthday party she was hosting for herself uh, in April. And she told my brother and his brother in the backyard that she was running out to the store to get some other things, party things for her birthday party leaving the pot of potatoes on the back of the stove and the baby upstairs in the crib sleeping. And she said she would be back shortly. Well, in the meantime, the pot, my brother and his brother are outside playing marbles. The pot boils over, burns out the, all of the water, catch the, the stove catches on fire, then the house catches on fire and the house burns down and the baby dies in the, in the fire. Well, this was the child that was closest to my dad when he was going to school as a young man. Rosalie used to grab his leg and and, you know, cry when he got ready to go leave home to go to school because she loved him so much. And he loved her. I mean, because he was like the big brother. And um, my I didn't even know this family story as close as I was to all of the family members and, and the adults telling one story uh, after the other uh, about what was going on in the family but I had never heard this story until I was about 40 years old and I was sitting in the living room, the same living room that I came out in and my mother had this Dunkin Fife furniture and leather top tables and you know beautiful little things sitting all around the house and and he was drinking gin and orange juice and he starts telling me this story, while he's drinking this gin and orange juice. I think they call that a screwdriver. And <laughs> he starts to cry. Well, yeah. i had never seen my brother father cry in my life. He was about the age I am now, about 70 years old. And he's telling a story that I had never heard. And I looked at him just incredulously. And I said, dad, it's not your fault. I said, I hope you know it's not your fault. And he said through his tears, ma didn't say meaning his mother didn't say it wasn't his fault so i suspect in her grief she neglected to console the children and maybe even blame them Mm -hmm. for not watching you know for not being in the house but it wasn't my dad's fault but he had carried that guilt all of his life so i mean that incident you know along with um his military experience which pre- prevented him from becoming an officer all of that's highlighted in my book uh, mm-hmm. of time and spirit um, you know and then marrying young and having children two children back to back young and uh, you know and then struggling for employment living in segregated housing my dad ended up becoming. a becoming over his lifetime, a real success story and being recognized by the governors of the state. And, you know, he was engaged in in the uh, public school system where I grew up and he he chaired the scholarship committee and he was a part of the PPA and he belonged to Toastmasters. And and then one day, um, you know, after he had retired, he had had a couple of heart attacks and he retired at 55 years old uh, and my mother was caring for him. And so to get him out of the house, I says, well, I'm going to take you to the casino, you know, I, and, and we didn't have, I mean, we didn't talk about anything. I, I mean, I can talk to you more than I could talk to my dad. <laughs> you know, I, I, he just didn't have that kind of personality. And, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know how to make inroads with my dad, but anyway, I loved him and I put him in the car and we drove up the road and, and, um, to the casino uh in in delaware maryland i mean delaware Virginia, um, wilmington delaware somewhere in delaware it doesn't matter and so he, my dad was a stickler for time from his military experience and he says well we'll meet here at the bottom of the escalator in one hour maybe it was two hours and so because I didn't gamble I wasn't interested in the machines I worked too hard for my money I was not wasting my money at any damn machines yeah.
0: at the table
1: I w- I mean I was making no money at that time so I had nothing to lose but he was retired and that was his out- outdoor activity so you know I went upstairs and read the New York Times the plays that were on Broadway and um, entertained myself I got some lunch while he was playing the machine so when the designated time came for him to return mm-hmm. my dad didn't show up and he was always always on time and, and in fact he was early and if he was on time he was late I mean that was a whole <laughs> of philosophy I mean that that was indoctrinated in him too so you know, I, I didn't want to leave the escalator to go to the information desk to have him page, but I waited five minutes and then 10 minutes and then 15 minutes. And it was just getting longer and longer in my psyche because I'm wondering where the hell is my dad? You know, where is he? You know, um, because he's never late. And of course he had this heart condition and I didn't know if he had fallen. I passed out. I... So as I'm getting ready to walk over to the information desk, I see him descending from the escalators, and he looks up at me and he said, Maurice, what are you doing here? I'm thinking, I brought you here. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I mean, so I could tell the dementia
0: was yeah.
1: settling in. You know, he yeah. was getting dementia.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: I mean, that was just like the saddest. Oh, it was just the saddest. That's sad. You uh, know. To, you know, to see this man who's your father, who's worked all life, who's lived through these tragedies, who's married, they were married, he was married to my mother for 62 years, and he mm-hmm. had two children, a boy and a girl, and, you know, and he he had worked a sterling career, he a community involved, recognized by the community, and so forth, to see that his brain was going, and so, anyway, I bought him lunch, and we got in the car, and we went back home, but... Um, on the way a part of the story that's also in the book is um, he liked to he loved classical music he liked Beethoven and B- Wagner and he loved Shakespeare and he um, as a writer and a poet and you know he liked all of the elevated classical the Greek tragedies and things like yeah. that so um, he used to play for all of the children, like on Saturday morning, Broadway plays like My Fair Lady, The King and I, The Sound of Music, and all of the Broadway plays that were popular of his generation. So I said to him, oh, and Townhouser, he loved Townhouser. I think that was by Wagner, too, one of the operas by Wagner. So I says, well, I'm going to play something for you. And it was La Cage the the gay, and he and when uh, Harvey Firestein is talking about another stroke of mascara on the eyes, my dad is like shaking. You know, it's like this. Lakaja <laughs> Ball play was a little bit more than he could handle. But anyway, um, I introduced him in. in you know, and but he had never heard of that. With all of the plays, he had never heard of that. He had never heard of Kinky Boots and. You know, I mean, I was trying to, since he was, had relieved me from all of my stresses, I thought he was receptive to it. But anyway, I'll, I'll give you a chance to say something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm still, actually, I'm still thinking to myself, why did he tell your, his wife that, yeah, I mean, oh, what I wanted to say back then was, so wait there, in the 1919, or let's say the 30s, World War II, he was having sex with, I assume, European women. His wife is an African-American woman. I guess your mom is African-American, isn't she? Yeah, uh-huh. Did you have a problem with that? Uh-huh. When she's like, why are you sleeping with the enemy? That's the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's got cheek. he has got cheek to tell your mom. Uh, yeah,
1: Kate Church was out because my mother was from Washington, D.C., where, where I, I live. live. Now yeah. I'm the only one one of her three children that lives in her hometown. So my mother was a little bit more urban, a little bit more worldly, a little bit more sophisticated. And her mother had died when she was 10. So my mother had to learn very early on that, uh, you know, how to ward off men. And, you know, she had, she was more or less responsible of raising her sister and brother and being a surrogate wife to her father from the standpoint of taking care of the house and doing the things that the women did in the household so anyway yep that happened that happened okay she so right out of the army too <laughs> what was that what was that she she got him out of the army you know she brought him back home i mean she yeah. told she wrote to his commander and said you know he's got to come back home you know because
0: <laughs> he's not he know what he's. <laughs>
1: these men were doing to her husband over there you know but you know an interesting thing too my dad you know when I asked him after you know he he blessed me I guess you might say with my mother or relieved me from the guilt of being rebuffed by my mother and father I mean you know kids want to be loved by their mother and father and when the father puts them out or you know, kids become alcoholics, drug addicts, uh, sex addicted, alcohol addicted. You know, I mean, they act out because of the rejection of their parents. And I, I didn't want to be rejected. But on the same time, I was affected by the Catholic Church, too. I didn't want to live with this guilt and sin. Or, I mean, according to the church, it's not a sin. But I mean, according to the way I was raised in that institution.
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't
1: want to keep having to go to confession every Saturday. So I asked my dad one day you know why he you know how did he come to being able to support me that way and he said he had been in the military he said he had seen a lot of things and he said in in his belief he felt under certain circumstances if a man was deprived of a woman for a sustained period of time they would use other forms of outlets to have sex and I mean I mean I'm just thinking Okay, he saw a lot more in life than I did,
0: you know. <laughs> so, so, anyway. <laughs> okay, and that, that that story you said about the, you know, because as soon as you said that, you know, I always think of my daughter, she's one and a half now. And I'm really like, you know, because I got burned. I don't know if I told you that, but let me see, you can see these. When I was a little kid, when I was about one and a half, pretty much the same kind of thing happened, actually. Um,
1: I'm not, I didn't, I'm not understanding your question.
0: No, what oh. you saying? Sorry about what your um the story about the little. He's I think it was his little sister who passed away from a house fire.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was massive. involved.
0: The, yeah, I can relate to that because I was involved in the house fire too when I was little, and I ended up burning myself. Luckily, it was only you know I was deformed, obviously with my fingers. Right. So three of them here. Oh then, yes, yes, the yes. The one yes, here yes. That, yeah. that mounted the bone. That actually mounted the bone, and he stuck wow. in the one position. Oh, you
1: yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that, so that, that occurred as a result of a
0: house fire? Not quite. I think it was more like, you know, the same thing. My mom had to go to the door or something, left the heating on, but never thought twice that I would go and try and grab it. And I just went straight <laughs> for it. And she came back and I was stuck to the heater, basically. Yeah. Oh, okay. I could, I could only imagine what that was like for her seeing that. Because whenever my kids like fall off a bike or something, man, I'm like, oh, I failed, I failed. So you can yeah. imagine what it was like for her. But I can only imagine what it was like for your grandma I guess it would have been right. When well, she came back and found that the house is burnt down one of the kids uh-huh. has passed up. whoa that's um and I was always think about my daughter too Is she's, she's one and a half and I'm always trying to protect all my kids I'm like look guys stay away from fire don't run with knives don't do stupid things it can happen really quickly you know uh-huh. and that's that's a that's a, a nightmare for me
1: well you know I find being 74 years old there's so much tragedy in the world I've been on two around the world twice on two world cruises and when you know in every country of the world there's so much tragedy so much there's so many issues where people need help and guidance one of my facebook friends here in washington dc uh is still grieving from a tractor trailer truck that ran into an suv where that his mother His sister, his two nieces, and nephews all died. Really? From from a truck driver hitting their SUV, and the driver had gone to sleep at the wheel. Yeah. He had been driving for 35 hours. 35 hours? Yeah, and he went to sleep at the wheel. He had no scratches, but the damage that he did was five family members being killed all at one time on the same day. So, you know, there's a lot of tragedy in the world that just, it's just so sad. It's just, Uh I mean, and you just, it just makes you wonder, you know, um, you know, how do we stay safe? How do we be careful? How do we, protect our children, our young. And how do we protect our LGBT community? I mean, because many of them are victims um, of, of physical violence, psychological.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean, there are horror stories in the gay community of how some parents treat their children. I mean, and, and it's not, I mean, it may have subsided somewhat, but there's still a lot of problems, yeah. you know, for the LGBT community right now. So i am happy to have been able to write um these three books and i do find that the lgbt community at all socioeconomic levels whether you're extremely rich or upper class middle class or lower class all of them are suffering from you know the same types of things and i just finished reading a biography on one of the u.s presidents
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know uh well, one of the roosevelt's uh teddy roosevelt and you know, one of the things about these very elite people who go to, you know, the How- Harvard University and Yale and Oxford and Princeton and some of these great things, the very wealthy, wealthy people, the, you know, the Boston elite in, in, um, in Massachusetts and Harvard, they have the same kind of health issues, death issues, their children die, their wives die. You know, they are also victims of tragedy. I mean, so at every socioeconomic level, uh, I think people, just all of us, which is makes it so hard that we try to, you know, we have these polarized groups, uh, these groups that divide and separate us uh, and keep one pitted against the other. It's just unconscionable to me.
0: It's crazy.
1: We're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable.
0: We're, like, we're about as powerful when you think about it. When it comes to the machinery we've built and the technology advancements we've made, we're about as fragile as, a, as an ant when it comes down. Yeah. To it. Absolutely. We can die yeah. and then into the blink of an eye, we're dead. That's it. Look how fast we travel in cars. We travel, everyone's driving at least 100 miles an hour a day. Yes. Easy. Uh-huh. Hit one with that and then you're gone. That's it. The end. I, History. That's it.
1: You, I mean, and, and, and it's a split second. I live here in Washington, D.C. and just last week, maybe a week or 10 days ago, well, whenever June 19th was, there, was, there were three young people coming out of a club or a bar and they were having some type of dispute mm. at the corner of the block directly behind my house. And I live in a very nice community, mm. um, but they were having some type of disagreement. And one of the three young people pulled out a gun And he thought he was shooting in the air, you know, to calm the people down, you know, the people who are arguing down. And it actually hit a a standby person, a person who was just standing, minding their own business and killed them. I mean, just standing on a street corner, waiting for the light to turn from Red to green, so that they could get the walk light. You're just yeah. standing on the corner, and a bullet comes and hits you, and you you're not a part of disagreement. You're not a part of anything. It's just, I mean, that's like really very tragic. Yeah. And I don't know if you heard in in your country too. Another piece of the news we had um, we have the military academy here, and um, a family from Texas just came to. To you know, to honor their son, and she was standing in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, at a very nice hotel, and she was shot and killed by another stray bullet. You know, they was just standing there, and it's like they haven't even found the people who shot these people yet. It's just, it's it's a lot of tragedy in the world. So, yeah, you know, we have to keep working and doing good things like you're doing, and yeah. you know, help people increasing awareness um you know writing books doing podcasts doing tv shows doing billboards donating you know we just have to keep at it because the world still has a lot of problems
0: yeah for sure for sure and of course the next problem is i think my my dad he said something about dementia your dad had that late in his life my dad also has that but i don't have a like you have a closer relationship to your dad than i've had with my dad my dad was kind of like he was a rolling stone basically so Uh my mom found it attractive, thought he'd knock her up and then took off, you know, basically. But every now and again, like maybe four or five times in my whole life, I saw him when we was young or throughout my childhood. And um, uh-huh. obviously now he's suffering dementia. So I don't even bother with him because I'm like, he doesn't remember anything anyway. But you see what uh-huh. he does to somebody, you know, it's like, like for me, um, my wife's grandma is also suffering dementia. And you see that person's gone and like, The person who was there is now gone. They're still there, yeah. but they're not there. You can't ask them anything. They're saying stuff from back in the day. You know, like, I'm like, <laughs> my wife's grandma, she'll be like, So I'm going home now. It's like, oh, What do you mean? Yeah, I'm going on to go and see my mom. My mom's coming in a bit. I'm like, Your mom's been dead for 50 years. You know, it's, mm. it's like, she talks about her mom being alive. And, a, and, a, and she, that's how she confused me with somebody, one of her family members. And I was like, You're German. I'm black can't be any connection. And then I'm also like, what if she revol- You know, she goes back into the old days and thinks I'm, a, I'm an enemy and she pulls out a uh-huh. shotgun and shoots me because she thinks uh-huh. of back in the war, you know, I'm scared that she'll go back to the war time and be like, oh, we're at war. Look, uh, 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 an enemy and go get a knife uh-huh. and try and stab me, you know, I, I'm going to worry about this stuff, you know? Well, so- you
1: know what? You know, if your story is so interesting because, you know, sometimes I wonder if my story Sounds like whining because my dad was at home at the dinner table, you know, after the military, mm-hmm. every day. Um, even though we didn't communicate, and he was the disciplinarian and the head of the household and the breadwinner and all of that, and we were mm-hmm. just subordinated children. But in your case, your father wasn't even at the dinner table, yeah. you know, every day. So you know, if, if you put it on the scale, you know, whose your, your story sounds. More tear-jerking. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. more, it's it's more of um, a, of a situation where you've been victim of this this human being that's your father, who whose role is to protect and to uh, their children to provide and to protect for their children, and he's like absent, you know, yeah. and he's gone. Yeah. And then when he gets old, he has dementia, yeah, and it's you know. I, I can't ask you anything. You know, I mean, it's like you don't get anything out of this. I got nothing. You know? I got nothing from the guy. Nothing. Nothing. You don't get anything out of
0: yeah. it. Yeah. No history.
1: And, and with my dad, at least I was able to break through. And we were able to break through and come to peace at some level. Peace before he died. And I remember when I picked him up at the hospital, uh, the Johns University Johns Hopkins University Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. I picked him up after his heart surgery and uh, the doctors told me I had to put a pillow over his, you know, over the incision before I put the seatbelt on and drive him home. I couldn't bring the car more than, drive the car more than 40 miles per hour. And he was kind of slumped over in the car like this on the seatbelt, I guess, trying to get home and trying to stay comfortable, whatever he was in his head. And out of his mouth, of this man that I had not, had, you know, had any long conversations. He looked at me and he says, "You know, Maurice, I had three children. I loved all of my children, but you're the best one." <laughs> I nearly crashed the
0: car. <laughs> I mean, I
1: never got a, uh, an, you know, a compliment or an encouraging word or. You know, I mean, and for him, I mean, of course, this is the, you know, he's coming down from his life now, you know, and he's sick and I'm caring for him, you know, but I, I mean, just to hear him say that, I mean, and I mean, and I didn't cry in front of him, but after I got him home and I, you know, dropped him off and did what I had to do and cut his hair and whatever. I got in my car and I just let this stuff out. I just cried. I just cried and cried and cried because I mean, now I'm 50 50 or 60 years old and now he's having his awakening of his fatherhood and, you know, and I'm included in it. So, I mean, at least I got that. But, you know, I don't know. Parents, I mean, we didn't come with guidebooks and directions and blueprints to how to raise children, but some of them have really fucked up bad. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I think, I think, to me, it would have just been, like you said, your dad was was there, you know what I mean? You still could have ask him a few questions. I never had that option. Never had that option. You know, when I saw him, I, I saw him like, I didn't see him much when I was little. Then I saw him again you know, when I was about 17. He took me driving. I saw him like two times and he was gone again. I was like, then I didn't see him again till. In fact, the last time I saw him, I knew he was getting sick. That's it. And then I saw him once, I visited him. In the um, this where do you go when you're de- demented or like an old people's home or something? He was still quite young. He wasn't that old, but he was old and old enough to go into the old people's home. Mm-hmm. And now he's now he's there, and he's he's just a, he's a vegetable now. That's it, he's a vegetable. Like you mm-hmm. just see him, his eyes are up there, and he's like, uh, and he's just. I just said, I'd make peace.
1: I don't mean any ill
0: will to any human being, to
1: you or me or our parents. But you know, there's an old saying, an old tale saying. I don't know where it came from. Of what goes around comes around. And you know, I, I think we can't live uh, an inconsiderate uh, good life and expect to have a good ending. I mean, yeah. if you don't, if you don't, if you're not living your life doing the best that you can do with mm-hmm. what you have, where you are, under your circumstances, but it's your best life. You can't expect on the other end, and I don't know if it's any science that supports any of that of what I'm saying, but I have lived long enough to see that those people, even if they have justification, who, who haven't lived correctly mm-hmm. by just common sense. I'm not even talking about a Bible. I'm just talking about the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, And people who can't discern that End up having an end that's not pretty. Yeah. I
0: mean, not sure. a pretty end. Sure. Well, that's what but I-, I have
1: to be careful about what I say because I don't know how my end is gonna be. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be fine.
0: Actually, I said that. I said that, you know, I sat down with my mom, I think it was, and I said, you know, it's weird. This guy forgot about all his kids because he had ten of us, no, nine of us at least that we know of. And mm-hmm. he didn't really care for none of them. Yeah. Yeah. And um I was like, it's weird. He forgot all of us when we was young. And as he got older, now he forgets. God took away his memory because that's what he started off doing, forgetting everybody. Mm-hmm. So he took it away. And I was like, fate, fate. Mm-hmm. Like Me, I'm, I'm, I'm cold to it. I'm um, numb because I'm like, I, I made peace a couple of years ago. So I'm not going to go and visit him. I'm not going to go visit him based on the fact that when he was fit and healthy, he should have been visiting me. I'm mm-hmm. not going to go there now and visit him and give him comfort and relief. Because he can't even tell me he's sorry. He can't even tell me anything, you know. I'm like, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't you don't owe him
1: anything. I mean, it's it's not, you know, it's a, another expression that people make deposits in your life, deposits like equivalent to a bank account. They're putting something in, like money. And, and they're withdrawals from you, people who take withdrawal, who take from you. Yeah. And people who don't participate in your life like a father, they're withdrawing from you. Yeah. So, I mean, it the balance, I mean, if you look at the balance sheets of deposit and withdrawals, he's withdrawn more from you than he yeah. has deposited in yeah. you. I mean, in terms of good stuff. But of yeah. course, you have to look at it this way, Wayne. Look at this wonderful product that he created. <laughs> <laughs> That's all my mom's <laughs> work. This handsome I'm, man, I'm this young, full of energy. I'll give that to all my mom who's doing podcasts globally around the world so yeah. you know there is a justice there there there's always some justice yeah. that comes uh a good that comes from a negative situation yeah. and so you have not done bad i mean you i mean you're
0: you're doing good pick a alone, and pick then a look at
1: me and look at me
0: <laughs> hey, wait a minute you said you was what did we say you was 55 last time We said 55 didn't we
1: no 74 i'll be 75 next year you don't
0: look that old man i don't believe it i'm saying 55 (laughs) we had had this discussion last time
1: yeah yeah somebody one of one of my girlfriends said uh i mean friend girl i don't mean like romantic because i'm gay but uh (laughs) but she said i want to see your driver's license she said i don't believe you're 74 years old but anyway i'm 74 years old um and it and it and in the morning it I can tell that I'm 74 yeah. when I'm getting out of the bed. Well, I don't like getting out of the bed anyway, but um uh but now it's nobody in the bed with me and I still yeah. don't like to get out.
0: <laughs> Actually, you saying that? have you ever been married or you ever had any kids?
1: No, I've never married, never had any kids. Thank you for asking. I've had two long-term really gay relationships. Mm-hmm. Um one for 22 years, uh, wow. African-American man for 22 years. He was nine years older. I, he, We had an absolutely perfect relationship mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned. But, you know, one of the things that I have learned in relationships is when you marry or a part of another person's life, you're marrying their family, too. Yeah. yeah. So what <laughs> all of that other stuff... <laughs>
0: Tell <laughs> well, me about it.
1: Yeah you got all of those sisters and brothers and cousins and aunts and uncle who are loyal on that team. Yeah. And I was, you know, and if, you know, and if you're gay and they don't like you, boy, it's not going to be easy. So I, 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 I endured, uh, my first relationship, but the primary instrument of the demise of it from my perception was his mother. I mean, he, he actually loved his mother. Um, yeah. Uh, And I came home from a business meeting many times and she would be sleeping in my space of the king size bed that he and I shared. And I just thought (laughs) that's too weird. It's just too weird for me. It's just too weird, you know? Um, So anyway, I had my second relationship and it was 12 years and it was a white guy uh, from Dutch descent. And we had a beautiful relationship. And of the two, you know, I, he was very quiet, like my dad too, though he could yell a lot, but he, he <laughs> I had a, I had a great, great relationship. Actually, I had a great relationship with both of them. I had two good uh, partners, two sustained relationships. And, um, and I had the first, I never had a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school or college. I had some promiscuous, one night stand,
0: yeah,
1: uh, whatever you call that stuff when you're young, um, but uh, but I, ne- I only had two long term relationships, and they both were good, and both of them are currently deceased. Oh, and, I,
0: didn- and I didn't kill them. you, know you killed them. You kill them. At least you I don't
1: think I did. <laughs>
0: i'll leave both of them i guess
1: (laughs) yeah well you know i hope so but i hope the second one chooses me again you know when you're young sometimes you know you reflect on your life and i've been single for 17 years and if any of your listeners are single huh i've been 17 yeah i've been single for 17 um and but it's the only period in my life that i was ever single as an adult you know, because I came out of college and had my first relationship for 22 years. And I mean, we built a home together. We had cars and traveled, and we went to Europe and vacationed and cruised. We had a beautiful life as far as I was concerned. We had everything in our home. We entertained and uh, we traveled. Um, but um, I, the second relationship was very, different, but it had a different level of fulfillment. And I guess people are different in different ways. And I think sometimes, you know, when we get in relationships too young, we outgrow the person that we're with. They either outgrow us or we outgrow them or whatever. And, um, but I, I, I just thought separating from him was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. I think divorce is dreadful. I mean, the whole, just the whole breaking up of the emotional attachment that that was present at the beginning Mm. you know trying to sever that and then you know after 22 years you've accumulated a lot of things you've been a lot of places you've taken a lot of pictures you have a lot of memories and it's always more difficult for the person who's left behind than it is for the person is leaving and in my case I was the one leaving so Mm. but I thought that was uh separation and divorce was really difficult for me
0: hmm. well anyway, i know i always think anything over 10 years with somebody is a successful relationship to me and i'm at 30 <laughs> now so I'm, I, if i was to leave now i would be i could leave with good good faith thinking yep you know a good heart you know my heart uh-huh. intact proud a proud person as i am you know an african king yeah, yeah. i did 10 i did 13 years in prison and now i'm free <laughs> well,
1: I mean, you're still young yet. I mean, you're still young. I mean, you have the opportunity to meet the soulmate of your life. Of who you oh,
0: I think I, I think i already got it. To be fair, she's all right, man. She's not bad, man. She's, uh-huh. you know, you, as you get older you start thinking to yourself, you know what? This might actually be it, man. <laughs> uh-huh. it. Then again, twenty-two years, man. That that's the way. Maybe in twenty-two years, I'll be like, this ain't it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, you know, but that's yeah. what the life, our life is. It's a journey. It's a journey of ups and downs and goods and bads and good experiences. But, I mean, and it all goes into the gumbo. You know, I mean, everything. Yeah. I mean, you can't separate it. You can't unring the bell. You can't un put the water back in the glass after you knock it out. So, yeah. I mean, that's a part of who we are. And, you know, we try to do the best we can and make the best judgments and, and try not to hurt people and do you know the best you
0: can yeah so actually i was asking her the other day my wife i was saying um so how do you feel about you know the whole this whole marriage thing <laughs> you know just turn around and said she was like i don't even have time anymore to think about us just got it's just the kids it's just the kids and i was like actually to say for me i don't never get time to actually think about how i feel about my wife it could be that i don't even like her anymore but i have no time to think about it it's like <laughs> i don't like oh it's She's crying again. Quick, grab her. I think
1: you still have to keep your romance alive. I mean, I, I mean, I think children take up one of the things I did admire about my mother and father is they they married early, but they did take time out maybe once a month to go to a dance or a party, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to sort of rekindle. Because if the marriage is unhappy, your children are looking at an unhappy situation and then they they end up repeating that same type of pattern um you know and on the other hand I never saw my mother and dad show any sign of public affection I never saw him pat her on the butt or kiss her on the cheek or I mean I never saw them ever make any you know any affectionate gestures toward each other in public but I'm sure something was done they had three children
0: (laughs) I think that was the only three times they ever did it (laughs) <laughs> Got lucky. yeah
1: yeah
0: oh yeah, yeah i think my kids ain't gonna be like that they're gonna know that me about me because yeah. i'm
1: well you know in my book from whence um from whence we come it's a passage in there that my when my mother and i i mean when after my dad died actually before my mother and i talked about absolutely everything mm. but um she was telling me one day that how she didn't you know, she wasn't interested in sex anymore. So I says, "Well, mother, how do you not be interested in sex?" And so she said, "Well, you don't understand because you're a man." She yeah. says, but, "She says, but for a woman, she said you got to clean up beforehand. Yeah, you got you got to clean up afterwards, and then you get back in the bed thinking you're going to have some loving, and your man is laying over there That's sound it. asleep." She says, "So what do I get out of this?" I, I, <laughs> and I, I says, yeah, I mean, because she was in her 70s, 80s, and 90s when we would have these kind of conversations. Yeah. And I would say, oh, you know, my dad must not have... He went to sleep afterwards. <laughs> you ain't uh, no good.
0: You ain't no good. You have to give the girl a blinding orgasm. That's it. And then you've paid <laughs> your dues. If you don't do that, you fail. <laughs> no pressure for the listeners out there. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, man. Anyway, yeah. I don't know, man. I think I'm going to give you the floor for a bit. Um, and let, let 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 everybody know where we can find you again. And of course, I'm going to get you back on again in the near future as soon as things get a bit quiet. Uh, well,
1: I thank you so much. Well, first of all, I just thank you for having me back a second time. It's an
0: honor, it's an honor.
1: I, 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 I love the communication that you and I have, and I have enjoyed hearing your story as much as you have.
0: I've yeah. told you my story. I don't yeah. know if you
1: enjoyed it, but I told you it. I
0: love it, I love it, I love it.
1: And so, um, and I, I, you know, and I'd like to thank your podcasters who listen and who who support you. And and I think this information sharing is good all over the world. In fact, sometimes I forget you're in Rome, uh, Rome, Italy, Stockholm, Sweden, uh, Germany, Berlin, Germany.
0: Well, well it's European uh, time, isn't it? England, Germany, it's all over. Like, so I'm based in Germany, but i also like from England okay. and places like that yeah, everywhere yeah
1: yeah okay well good well anyway i thank you for all of that and and i thank you for sharing my information i wanted this is my first book businessman first it's also a two-time award-winning book um it's the story about the first african-american man who ever issued stock publicly on the new york stock exchange my second book is uh from whence we come which is an award-winning book it's uh a novel and um but autobiographical in a sense, but I had to change the names to protect some of my family members. And my third <laughs> one, we talked about today of time and spirit, which is a tribute to my dad. And you can reach me at www.mauricewdorsey.com, which is my name. And my email is mdorsey 10 outlook.com. So if any of your listeners want to contact me, or that's fine. And I thank you again. And I'm done if you're done.
0: I I, I still want to know if you did an audio version of your book with you reading it
1: after I've done what now?
0: an audio version so what you do is you go into a studio and then you read the book you read everything from the first word to the last word and then you combine it into audio and then you sell that version too
1: well you know I think you said that to me too and I've had just a few requests of doing Audiobooks And I haven't done that yet. I have, please, times, please do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's sort of expensive. I've spent a lot of money. I could do it for you. Oh, well, if you can do it to me, send me an email, tell me how I do it. And I'll be happy to do all three, one, two, or three yeah, okay. And, and remunerate you. If I can afford it,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I will pay you if I, if I can <laughs> afford you. <laughs>
0: I'll do nice and cheap, man. Nice and cheap. A Lamborghini. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's let's keep in contact and I'll let you know how we can do it. Okay. It's a blessing to have you again. Thank you very much for joining us. Peace out, man. All right. Thank you. Bye, 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 bye.